This is Jim Harmer, and you're listening to the Improve Photography Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Thursday Boot Company. Handcrafted with the highest quality materials and sold at honest prices, starting at just $149, including free shipping and returns. The best boots at the best value are only a click away. Just head over to thursdayboots.com and use code FREESHIPTODAY to have a pair on your doorstep by this Thursday. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. Today's episode is a best of episode. I'm actually in Zion National Park in Utah doing a little extra shooting this week as I prepare for the photography steal. That's going to be on Black Black Friday. It's our big sale of the year that we do every year and really blow it out, have something really great for you. And this year it's going to be focused all on landscape photography. And so I'm down here to do a little extra recording. I came a couple weeks ago, but now I'm back. And so I didn't record a new podcast this week, but we have one of our best episodes from the past ready for you all about sports photography. Let's go to that now. So, Brian, the question that everybody asks to get to uh, when they hear you're shooting NFL games, something cool like that. Uh, I think what everybody wants to know is how do you get into a game? How did how did you get in a position to start doing that? Uh, that's the hard part. <laughs> um, it is difficult to get in just simply because there are so many rules and regulations and they tend to kind of limit the number of photographers that are allowed on the sidelines. Uh, the way that I got in and I know every time I'm on, I'm probably, I probably talk about it is just through relationships. Uh, I'm a very uh, relational person in my opinion. And so I had, you want the long story or you want the short story? Let's hear the medium. All right. The medium story. <laughs> I, I was at a wedding, um, from a chiropractor and did a slideshow during the wedding the next day, his sister came up to me and said, hey, I'm a celebrity event um, planner and I do a lot of events with a lot of athletes. Would you be interested in helping me? And I'm like, yeah, I would love to. And so my job typically is to photograph um, athletes or celebrities that are at certain events just with the sponsorship. So that way they have photos for them. Well, from that, I've had the opportunity to meet a handful of players and some coaches and with that, I've used that opportunity to build relationships with those coaches. And with, uh, through that, I have kind of made a, an exchange in a way where I will do uh, family photos for them. And in return, they have helped get me onto the sidelines. So that's kind of the medium version of it. That, that's awesome. So we have a couple questions that have, that have come in about sports photography for you. First is, what's, you, what's your brand of camera and lens choice for, for shooting the NFL? So I, I have two camera bodies. Uh, I have a 5D Mark III, and then I have a 7D Mark II. And so those are typically, I'll have both those bodies with me. And what I'll often use the most is uh, sometimes I'll have my 5D Mark III, and I'll just have my 2470 or 70 to 200 on that. And then my 7D Mark II, I'll often rent a lens uh, locally. I'll get a 300 2.8 or 400 from the local 
photography place nearby. And it's great because I can rent it on a Friday and have to return it on Monday and it only cost me about $60. So that's the lens that I use the most, usually the 300 or 400 2.8. So Canon. Very cool. And uh, Nathan Pratt is asking, how do you expose for dark clothing on players and cheerleaders without blowing out the background? Good question. Uh, I tend to, I don't really, I don't really photograph the cheerleaders because I like to try to get a good action shot of the, of the football players. And I'm usually stressed about that too much to, to be distracted. So Typically, a lot of that has to do just with positioning yourself and paying attention to the background. You know, whether if their team's wearing a light jersey or a dark jersey, depending if they're home or away, you know, a lot of times that makes a difference. And just paying attention to the crowd in the background because usually you want to get down low. And when you're down low, that lifts the players up to where the background is, the crowd behind them. And so just being aware of of the background. Uh, I think one of the first games I shot, uh, there's a picture on my website. Uh, it's Brett Favre when he's playing for the Vikings. And behind him was the logo, the Vikings logo in, in the background. And so I think when you pay attention to the background, that kind of helps for when you're just setting your exposure. You know, I, I set the exposure to whatever the athlete is wearing and then just be aware of what's around you. So, okay, so you get in the games. What are some of the, the rules and regulations, things you have to be aware of when you're, when you're shooting a game like this? Good question. Uh, there are a handful of rules. One of the most important things to know is there's a painted line that goes around the field. From that painted line, you're only allowed to stay on one side of the line. So as you're walking around, you just got to make sure that you stay behind the line. Uh, you'll notice the NFL network, their crew kind of goes where they want. And the team photographers, they have the rights to go wherever they want for the most part. But you've got to stay back. The major rule that you have to pay attention to is you're never allowed to take pictures when you're walking behind the bench. Oh, afraid because, you're going to take pictures of playbooks and stuff? Right. Uh, exactly. Gotcha. And they want to they wanna avoid that. So Nicole Senor is asking, do you ever use a slow shutter speed for a blurred background or are you always just using fast shutter speeds? Honestly, I tend to usually keep it. It's usually fast and I just try to keep it at that. If I'm on the sideline and somebody's running past me, maybe I'll do something where I'll try to slow it down a little bit. But the games go by really, really fast and you don't really have a whole lot of time. Uh, well, I guess depending on what your focus is. If your focus is trying to capture the action, you don't have time to sit there and play with your settings. Unless, you're, unless you have no worries and, it, and you've got the time to do whatever you want. But uh, I tend to always want to be getting a good action shot. So I don't try to be too artistic, I guess, with the playing with the shutter speed and all that. Okay, so so you are when you're shooting a game, are, do you like have something that you have to deliver to the client? Like, because uh, what I see often is that sports photographers have to capture the story of the game because they need to send that to the newspaper, whoever is actually using the photos and sponsoring them being there. Um, and it seems that that would kind of limit your, your creative ability to just try different things because if you're trying something creative, what if there's a big touchdown or a fight on the field right then and you missed it? So do you feel like that kind of hampers you sometime or not really? Well, in a way, I'm kind of lucky because I don't necessarily have an assignment. My assignment is basically for me whatever I want to capture. 
However, when you are doing something for a paper, then you do tend to be assigned to maybe um, a certain player or even certain plays that would be happening. Um, as far as like, you know, if if you if you're there with a the crew, your job may be assigned to one team or even just focusing on the receivers compared to, you know, focusing on the running backs or the linemen. And when there's more photographers there that you're working with in a group, then it kind of makes your job a little bit easier because you've only got more, you have a more narrow uh, focus compared to when I'm there, I'm just trying to capture whatever. And it's hard because for me, I, I try to work on something different each game and you're trying to capture the receivers making the catch, but yet your quarterback does a, pump fake one way and you fall for it and all of a sudden next thing you know somebody's on the other half of the field catching the ball and running for a touchdown and you missed it yeah and um mike craig says tell us about the shot that you missed that you wish you wouldn't have missed Ooh, that's a good question <laughs> okay so the the shot that i missed that i wish i wouldn't have i was at a i was at a colts game and i was standing on the sideline talking to their team photographer and Towards the end, you know, the time's going down. It was a blowout. So the game, the story of the game was pretty much over. And I had to get my, uh, I had to switch to my 16 to 35, which I had back on the ground because I had my 70 to 200 with me on one body. My other body had the 400 millimeter. And we were getting ready to go out there and uh, capture the quarterback shaking hands. So I run back, I switch my lenses, I run out to the middle of the field and quarterbacks are shaking their hands and I'm holding my camera up there and, you know, doing my thing, just shooting away and they're done and they're walking off and I'm like, okay, yes. And so I go and I look at my camera. I left the lens cap on. Oh, I did. I was that guy. I was that photographer that was in somebody else's picture with the lens cap on the lens. Yes. <laughs> so. And I'm sure he didn't share that picture around. He was nice about it, right? Right, right. I, I never saw it, so that's that's a good thing. Is I never saw it in any of the papers at all. All right, Vincent Devlin is asking you, um, he says he's never been to an NFL game, and he'd like to be able to take his picture just to get some pictures from the, from the stands. Can he do that? Uh, you're limited by the security. At, at most of the sports arenas, you're not allowed to take in cameras where the lenses can come off, you know. So you can if you've got a... If you've got a way to get in without it being noticed, I'm sure you could. But typically, they won't allow you to bring in bigger cameras or anything that looks kind of professional. They'll usually turn you away. Yeah, that's what I found, too. I've gone to a couple uh, Boise State football games here, and uh, I always try to get tickets in the end zone. If you're on the first row in the end zone, first of all, those tickets are usually not too expensive because uh, people don't really want to sit in the end zone. Um, but if you do get those those end zone tickets uh, and you're on the first row, you know, you're not at the ideal angle. It'd be better if you were down on the field, but but you're pretty close uh, to the action. In fact, with just a 70 to 200, uh, you can totally get great shots there. Um, and so like my uh, Fuji X-Pro2 uh, with the 70 to 200, uh, they tend to just let that sucker go. I haven't ever had any problems with it. Uh, and that's at Boise State that's, you know, a pretty decent football team. I don't know if you were, you know, taking that to Alabama or something, if they'd be more uh, strict in some of the really big schools. Uh, but but uh, I've pushed that one okay. I don't know about an NFL game, though. Yeah, yeah, they're usually pretty pretty strict about that. And you don't want to bring it all the way to the gate, and then you get turned around, and now you have to go all the way back to your car after you walked a few blocks. And so that's yeah, that's difficult. 
Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. All right, Brian, you have been uh, doing a little bit with photo contests. You were telling me before we recorded that you hadn't really participated much in them before, and uh, you're starting to dabble with it. So uh, what's your experience been? So I see the photo contest pop up all the time, and I feel like I've got some pretty solid images to submit to these different contests. But there's something about the ones that are online that I always just feel iffy about. I don't know if it's just not feeling like I can trust whoever the judges are or not having a, a real good idea of how many people even submit. And a lot of times they charge a lot of money for it. So I've always avoided them in the past. Uh, recently, locally, uh, there was there's a local art, uh, what is it, art association that decided to do a contest locally where you can bring in three prints no larger than 30 inches for the for the width of it and it's only twenty dollars to submit and the winner can get two hundred dollars they're going to have it up for like a month i believe and you can go in and you can see the images and other people's work and what i love about that is that it's local and so through that I'm meeting other photographers locally and other artists. So it's not just photographers. It's also there's some uh, painters in there, too. But I feel better about that for some reason, just being that it's local, feeling like, OK, worst case scenario, people locally are seeing my work. And if they're interested, then maybe they'll come to me or hire me. And also what I like about this is we're able to sell the images, too. And we get to keep 80 percent of whatever the fees are. And that's that's all that they ask for it. So what about you, Jim? Have you done any contests before? You know, I, I've done a couple. Um, I, I've done a couple, but I, I've always been really wary of photography contests uh, for a couple reasons. Um, one is a lot of them are, are just scams, right? I mean, it's not that they don't award a winner, but like the purpose of it is just to get traffic for the website. You know, this kind where you just upload a photo and then has nothing to do with the quality of your photo. It's just how many of your friends you can spam and get to go like your photo on this website. And so it, they're just trying to drive traffic and it has nothing to do. It's not a photography contest. It's a how many of your friends can you ask to go like your photo contest. And so that really turns me off. The other kind that, that I don't that I wouldn't consider participating in uh, are photo contests that charge a fee to enter into it. Not that that can't be done legitimately, but I just see so often that that's, it, it just, I don't know. It, it's really iffy to me uh, when I see an entrance fee to enter uh, to enter into a contest. Not that it couldn't be legitimate, but but it, it's iffy. Um, so so those are those are two things that, that kind of scare me a little bit about some photo, photo contests. But the big one for me is almost every photo contest I see has serious heavy restrictions on being able to uh, digitally edit your photos before you put them up. Uh, for me, I'm only doing photography for art. It's just for fun, for creating something beautiful that I like. Um, I, d I don't really care if it was real or exactly how it looked uh, or not. I'm just creating something I like. And that doesn't really fit into 95% of the photo contests out there. And so that's why I, I have been hesitant to participate with them in the past. Yeah, that makes sense. I understand that. Yeah, for me, the fee was so minimal. It's $20 and it's a small artist association. So I kind of feel like it's almost a donation, you know, for a good cause supporting my local association. So 
for me, I thought that was good. And I'm also displaying uh, our library allows there to be like an artist of the month. And in February, it's going to be mine. And so That's cool. I needed I needed some additional pieces of artwork. So I thought, well, I can kind of kill two birds with one stone and get some you know, work up now and use those same images later if, if I end up not selling them. That's great. That's really cool. Well, we have lots more we want to talk about uh, in the rest of this episode. But before we get to that, we want to take just a second and thank some of the companies that have made this podcast possible. Today's episode is brought to you by Canon. Canon's offering a really unique opportunity to work directly with the Canon Explorers of Light. These are some of the top portrait photographers in the industry, and you can work directly with them in a city near you. They'll work with you to refine your lighting skills, your technical skills, building relationships, and posing your subjects, etc. Each instructor will demonstrate the gear they use and they love, uh, and also how to get the same results on the gear that you already own. They'll also show you little-known tricks you can do with your camera, optimizing light, and choosing lenses that best convey your message. In addition to a day of learning with the Canon Explorers of Light, you also get exclusive discounts on Canon portrait gear, PDF guides, a chance to touch and try the latest Canon cameras, lenses, and speed lights, as well as all your tech questions answered by an on-site Canon expert. Register now and learn more at canon.us slash learnportraits. That's canon.us slash learnportraits. Up next, I want to take you to a favorite conversation I had with Sandy DeRoe and Brent Bergherm about cleaning cameras and formatting your memory card. Let's go to that conversation now. Sandy, you wanted to talk today about formatting your SD card. Tell us about that. Well, somebody asked me the other day, I think it actually might have been at the retreat, they said, is it bad to format it every time? And I just, I never really gave it much thought. I know that we've talked about it. And when I was a listener of the podcast, I listened to at least one podcast centered around SD cards, but I kind of went like, well, I format it every time. Is that bad? And I started second guessing myself. So I looked it up and I found, you know, mo- most of websites say that you should format it every time, that it basically cleans out the card. Um, But I just wanted to get your guys' take on it and see if you heard anything of why you shouldn't format it every time. I think you should format it every time uh, and do it in camera because it sets it back to what the camera wants and what the camera is looking for. And whenever I hear of people having corrupted data uh, on their cards, it's always because they formatted in computer and or otherwise just, you know, deleted it. Uh, like drag drag the files either to the trash can or the recycle bin and then they empty it that way and actually not reformatting it. Um, but when you format it in camera, uh, I've never heard of uh, the, anyone in my circles anyway having problems with any data corruption. There's no, there's no risk of like wearing out your card or anything though by doing no. that. No, I don't think so. Uh, even if you were to do the, what they call the low-level formatting, because their standard formatting just erases the file allocation table, which is like the map of telling the computer where all the other files are. And when you do the low level formatting, it does go through and rewrite everything to zero or ones or whatever. But even doing that, wouldn't I wouldn't see that being a problem. Right on. Yeah, so I, I definitely think you, you should be formatting each time you, you put the card back in the camera. One thing that can cause problems is if you do accidentally or on purpose make a change to anything on the card while it's still in the computer so i take my card out of the computer out of the camera i put it in my laptop i download the files to lightroom and then i see oh you know what i really should have 
change the file name on, on this file and you change a file name or something, as soon as your computer is writing to the card, then it can have a problem that the computer won't, that the camera won't be able to read it now because the, the computer has taken over and started writing to it the way that it wants to write to it. So on the, on the Mac, at least the way that the problem is the Mac file system is different than the Windows file system, which is much more open and much more common that we're going to see on devices like cameras. So when you write, if you make a change to your card while it's in the camera, you're probably, you may need to, not every time, but sometimes if you put it back in the camera and it's like, and it can't do anything, <laughs> then, especially if it makes that sound, then you know something's right. really <laughs> wrong. something really wrong. <laughs> you messed up. <laughs> anyway, if you just put it back in the in the computer and you go to disk utility on the Mac to, to erase the card, you'll just want to make sure you choose your file system. You're going to... Uh, Gosh, now that now that I'm saying that I is why I can't think of it. I've got to go MS to it DOS on the fat. computer. Yeah, uh, you're going to need to go to MS-DOS FAT. Oh, yeah. That's the mm. one you're going to need to choose in order to write it the correct way. And then when you put it back in the camera, now you can format it in, in the camera again and things will work and perfectly. And then on, so on Nikons, there's two format buttons, um, yeah. two reds. And if you hold them down at the same time, it'll, it'll flash on the screen on top, F-O-R, and then you push it again and it'll format the card. So it's really fast and easy. Is mm -hmm. there something like that on Canon that we know of, Brent? Uh, no, the, to, the way you get it to the uh, on the Canon system, you just go through the menu system and uh, at least on the 5D Mark IV, it's under the uh, yellow wrench item. So there's lots of different color-coded items. Mm -hmm. And so you'll find it says uh, format card, and then it has uh, low-level formatting, or I think that's what it calls it, or just standard. And I always personally just do the standard. Yeah, I don't gotcha. think they have a button combination to do it on no. Canon. Not that so I remember. So if you're shooting Nikon, look for those buttons because uh, I got, I figured it out. I didn't. Somebody told me right after I got my Nikon, but I probably wouldn't have even noticed to this day if they wouldn't have showed me. That yeah. almost makes me think of the film cameras when you had the the rewind button for your film and you accidentally hit it. It's like no, I'm just <laughs> right. my roll of film. <laughs> <hated> the noise. <laughs> that stinks. I would hate to accidentally hit those two buttons. <laughs> Well, cool. That, that's a helpful reminder. Thanks, Sandy. And Brent, you did a class at the retreat, which was very, very full um, about camera yeah. cleaning. And you are the guy to go to for this because you own a lens rental company, right? So you're obviously sending out a lot of gear and getting it back and you want to get and it I'm clean for the customer. So yep. everybody has their own process for doing this. What process have you evolved to? What's What works best for you? Yeah, so just to kind of breeze over it, um, and I can post uh, a PDF uh, that has the tools. I can post that in the uh, podcast uh, Facebook group, so you can look for it there. But also, and we'll I can also put, get it in the show notes. Yeah, put a link in the show notes. Uh, so basically, just want to look at starting out general. I have a nice, just general terry cloth type item, although it's I, I technically use a um, a very uh, lush uh, microfiber cloth. And you can get those anywhere, get them at Walmart, whatever. That's just for the outside of the body, you know, just general cleaning. I like to just get off all the loose dirt just before I, you know, take the lens off and start getting nitty gritty because all that stuff can just fall right into the chamber, the the sensor chamber. And we won't, we don't want to do that. So, so you're just, cleaning just like around the lens, just the camera itself? Yeah, just, just the body, the, the, the barrel of the lens, the body of the camera, just, just lightly dusting it. If it's just a little bit, you know, if it's caked with mud, you got other problems, but I'm just uh, kind of like a first level defense, uh, okay. getting rid of all the extra stuff. 
Uh, and then I'll pay attention to the front element of the lens and the rear element of the lens and be you know a lot more careful there because of course we don't want to scratch it. And so I start off on those, I need to have a nice soft brush where I can get away all the dust particulate type items. And so for that, I use a camel hair brush specifically. Those are available Amazon or B and H or wherever. Camel hair? That's exotic. Camel hair. Yeah. Nice, because like horse hair, nah, that wouldn't work. It has right. to be camel no. hair if no, you want your exactly camera right. really clean. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's awesome. Actually, it, there's lots of other uh, brushes you could use, like the the tool I'm really Emu, a fan of. Called. All kinds of things. Oh, feathers. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know that I would do a feather. Um, How many animals are dying so we can clean our kids? Yeah, so I need oh, exotic tiger hair. It's just a haircut. It's just a haircut. No, I'm sorry. But this one Whale I've skin. had, <clears throat> I've had at least. Oh, my goodness. We can- <laughs> I'm trying to think of another exotic animal. All right. So this one I've had at least, I would say, 15 years because I used this to clean my slides when I shot film. Uh, but it's still working perfectly. So not many camels have died. Uh, <laughs> or got haircuts. <laughs> or, or got haircuts. So I just use that for for just getting the the sand or the other you know physical particulates that I can uh, get off. And then a nice, really smooth uh, microfiber cloth, you know, lens cloths, whatever. Uh, really good for getting some smudges off after you've done your your initial brushing with the with the brush. You can get those also at Walmart. You don't have to get them at a photo store. But the nice thing about buying them at a camera store or Amazon, you have a grand variety of sizes. And so I've got some that are really big and I've got some that are nice and small. It just depends on what you want them for. Uh, one of the best things I like is an uh, item called the lens pen. And that is great for smudges on your camera that just can't come off otherwise. Uh, and sometimes I'll even just skip when it's just a little dot or something like that, like maybe a, a water spot, I will... Uh, forego the cloth itself and just go straight to lens pen. Yeah. And the only thing I might add on that is I've bought a couple of those cheap ones, uh, the lens pen knockoffs, and they did oh, not work yeah. well for me. No. So be sure to check a, some real reviews, find one that has a lot of reviews and, and get a good you, one. You betcha. Uh, something like the lens pen, uh, it's not something I'm going to cheap out on. And they're not, I mean, they're less than 10 bucks uh, a piece, so they're not that expensive. Uh, if you are going to use the cloth, get a cleaning solution and spray on the cloth, not the lens, um, and get one that's made for optics. Basically, it's going to be a nice mild solution and it won't destroy your uh, nice expensive lens coatings that are on uh, the lens elements themselves. When you go inside the camera, uh, before you even lift up the mirror and put it in, in sensor cleaning mode, I like to take my bulb blower and that's just a little uh, rubber thing that you can grab and you squeeze it real quick and it, the one I'm looking at is shaped like a rocket. You can also just search for rocket blower. And so that'll just help get some of the loose material out of the chamber. And then when you uh, go into sensor cleaning mode, it will lift up the mirror out of the way. It will open the shutter and then you have full access to your uh, sensor. Now, on mirrorless cameras like Jim on your Fuji, you don't have that mirror and you don't have to worry about all that. You just take off the camera and your sensor is just exposed mm-hmm. right there. And that can, when you're cleaning, that can kind of be a blessing because the sensor is so easy to get to. Yep. And it can also be kind of, I would think, um, if I were to shoot Fuji regularly, I'd, I would be really careful when I'm changing lenses because I just don't want something to 
fall in there. It's just really close to the to the surface. The sensor is. Yeah, I haven't had I haven't had you know significant problems like any problems with it, like getting scratched no. or anything, just being exposed. Right. But I will say that I clean my camera. All, I need. I should say I don't clean my camera as uh-huh. often, but I need to clean my sensor yeah. much more <laughs> often sure. now that I yeah. shoot mirrorless. They get dusty dustier much faster than a DSLR oh, yeah. does. Much no faster. Doubt. No wouldn't doubt. you wouldn't you both agree that most of the time you just need to do the blower though i mean for me i just have little specks of dust and maybe it's just because i live in las vegas and they just come right off yeah it sometimes they can get cooked on there and so that's where you blow it out first and do what you can to just use that that's your first item so i've uh, actually had the opposite experience sandy i'm interested <clears throat> to hear you say that you i don't even use my blower anymore because it it never does anything. Like yeah. I always, I always, you know, I'll see spots and so I'll blow, 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 blow. Nothing. They're all still there. And so I've got to move mm-hmm. on to step two anyway and, and wipe with the peck pad. It but you feel like because it, it gets things off? Yeah. Well, it might just be because I live in, or it must rather be because I live in Las Vegas and dust is literally everywhere here. Yeah. And so I think it's, yeah, it's just dry, really fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So good, good, lesson good learned, good. move to Vegas. Right. That's right. <laughs> Make it makes your camera cleaning easier. <laughs> so there's a device called a sensor loop. I like using that. It's kind of expensive, loop but I like or using lube. that. Loop L O U P E. Okay. And so I like using that because it magnifies your sensor and you can look at it and it usually has lights on the inside oh, too. That's, you can cool. look at that's it. awesome. And so I had two of those at the retreat and people were looking in there and they're like, ah, what am I looking at? I was like, well, do you see anything white or like a hair or anything else like so that. So let me describe this to the, those that can't that that uh, don't know what this is like. I hadn't seen one before. This is cool. It's twenty bucks on wow. Amazon. I think me and Sandy have already made our order. I yes. <laughs> I'm spending uh, more of your it's money. This it goes over where the lens would normally, and it's just a big magnifying glass that has LED lights shining into it, so you can see the dust in there. This is cool, Brent. I haven't seen no, these before. Awesome. Yeah, they're great. Uh, since you shoot mirrorless, I would say make sure you get one that's sized for the mirrorless because uh, normally these are sized for the DSLRs. And so the focus is perfect when you set it on the lens mount. The focus is perfect for that uh, mm. with your, your, cool. your, flange, your flange on your Fuji is going to be a little bit narrower. So you want to check that out. <laughs> All right. I like I this. About it. <laughs> the most valuable piece of equipment that I've found is an item called the Sensor Clear, and that's K-L-E-A-R for Sensor Clear. It's made by LensPen. Basically, it's a lens pen for your sensor. Uh, that's actually not the next one I'll do. I'll usually use uh, first the Arctic Butterfly, uh, <laughs> and I'll, I'll it's a little brush that is mm-hmm. like the camel hair brush, but way more expensive. And then I'll brush uh, that on the sensor to remove those pieces of dust that are just being cantankerous and won't get off with the blower. And so if, if for some reason those don't uh, get off because of the, um, because of the, uh, they're sticking on there, I'll use the sensor clear and I'll just get in there. It's a tiny little lens pen. You just go back and forth really quick and it just gets those uh, things right off and it's pretty sweet. Okay. This and then is cool. the last and then the last thing I have used this thing. There's an there's an item called Dust Aid, and it comes. Uh, it's like a little silicone stamp uh, that you can literally put on the sensor, and you just stamp it down, lift it up. As long as you're really gentle, you're okay. I've had okay luck with that, but it's not something that I'm like totally sold on. 
the last item you mentioned, uh, I think it was the pec pads that you mentioned, Jim, mm-hmm. uh, that you use. Uh, I use the items by Visible Dust, so they have some swabs that are the same idea as the pec pads, uh, but they sell it in a pack of 12 or a pack of 50. And these are the little mops that you would use to uh, clean up your sensor. And they have them sized differently for full frames or crop sensor cameras. And then you um, also have a, a liquid solution that goes along with that. And so read up on those different uh, items that are available. I usually get the green handled uh, swabs and the V-Dust Plus is what I usually get. And so those are the most versatile uh, items. And um, one thing on the Arctic Butterfly that I've noticed, especially with Nikon cameras, stay away from the edges of the sensor because there's some oil or other residue there that is easy for the Arctic Butterfly brushes to pick up and brush across. We had that happen in Phoenix with several people. And so it's just a pain to remove those smears but we didn't have anyone scratch. All the people were very nervous about digging into the camera. We had no one have scratches and uh, had a fairly successful camera cleaning clinic there in Phoenix. That was pretty sweet. That's awesome. Well, I mentioned that we're going to dive straight into the doodads of the week. So, uh, Brent, you, you just gave us like 20 different doodads. What's your yeah, official pick here? <laughs> my official pick is what I said is my most used item, my go-to item when I'm cleaning sensors, and that is the sensor clear. And uh, the really neat thing about that is, too, I, I didn't mention it before, is that it has a little bit of an articulating uh, head so it can angle just a little bit, makes it super convenient for reaching down into that deep chamber, and you can just... Uh, scoochie it back and forth and clean off those pesky little dust spots that are just too um, too caked on there to get off otherwise. So you get the you get the dust onto this little it's like a little pin that articulates at the yeah. end. How yeah. do you get the dust off that? So you put the cap on and then you twist it and then it basically recharges whatever that magic pad is on the tip it cleans it and recharges it and then you're good to go again so you just go and back and forth really quick and then you know kind of take a look with your sensor loop and then you put it back on you twist the twist the cap and you go back at it one thing especially when they're brand new the sensor clear can leave easily its own little dust behind Mm. and that's what arctic butterfly comes back and just (laughs) so easily puts that away (laughs) Who but, made all these brand names? You're killing me over here, Brent. <laughs> I've used the I've used the cheap ones, and I hate them. The I'm killing you, but the Arctic Butterfly is is the only one I've used that's really good. All right, very good. Thank you very much, Brent. All right, Sandy, what do you got? Well, I have um, a doodad and a do random. Nice. Um, so my doodad is the Viltrox LED panel. During the retreat, we did a little food photography um, hands-on workshop. And this LED panel is 40 bucks. And you can actually change the color temperature on it. Oh, so right wow. now I'm using it. It's a constant light. And I'm using it in the lowest setting that matches the overhead bulbs that are very yellow. So it doesn't counteract with each other. Wow, now that is impressive. There are certainly a lot of LED panels that do this, but usually they're hundreds of dollars to get the ones right. that you have that kind of control over. Yeah. What is it? How is it powered? 
it's it's just got a battery. It's just a rechargeable battery. Uh, so you got to... Uh, oh, I forgot about your hatred chargers. of new batteries. I'll have to figure uh. out. <laughs> and it is one that I haven't used before. So I think it is uh, a unique one. So sorry, Jim. Uh, man, <laughs> I just wish everything in the world was double A or triple A because I, I have so many different adapters for things. I mean, or if it was at least USB charging. Oh, well, the good news is that the battery lasts a really long time. I charged it before I left for the retreat and it, and it lasted through two classes and a week. That's pretty so. cool. That's pretty good. No, it, it, and it's really bright too. It, I love it. My do, my do random is for the lady photographers. Um, I got a necklace as a gift from my husband. Um, he got it just off of Etsy, I guess. I don't know if he just Googled camera photographer or camera necklaces. Um, this Etsy shop is Anishka's jewelry. It's 21 bucks and it's a gold camera and I get so many compliments on it. So I had to share it. Very nice. Cool. And Brent, you had to do random. Yeah, we had a, a question pop up in the uh, in in about traveling with uh, batteries, and so I uh, recommend this battery caddy. Basically, you slip your you slip your double uh, A's or triple A's, get the right size, of course, and it will hold your batteries as uh, be, being safe while you're flying. So uh, the airlines don't like you just have loose batteries in your in your baggage. Uh, in your carry-on baggage. And yeah, so- I, I just to add on to that, I actually did some research in the FAA rules uh, for what it takes to bring batteries on, and it actually yeah. does say that each battery must be separately padded, and so this would fit that, which, I mean, yeah. it's not like somebody's going to just tear through your, your carry-on just because you have double A's in there, right. but like if you have a bunch of drone batteries and stuff and they open up your bag, you know, it's it raises suspicion, even though you can actually have several of the huge drone right. batteries and camera batteries without violating the rule, but it may raise suspicion and then they could bring out something like, ah, they're not separately padded. And so that's a good solution. Right. And then I just, when I'm going down to Phoenix, I actually didn't have one of those. So I just used gaffer's tape to actually tape them and pump them together and then put it over one of the contacts. And then I figured that was going to be fine. Cool. And yet another use for gaffer's tape. You betcha. (laughs) 